Matthew 8, 18 through 22 is our text this morning. We're going to be jumping right into where we left off last week um, and uh, heading right into it. You guys there? Matthew 8, 18 through 22. I'll be reading out of the NASB. It says this. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst, and we're thankful that we're able to be a part of it. God, thank you that on a Sunday morning that you provided this space that we can gather, and we all in our laps have the Word of God. We're just mindful that much of the world isn't allowed to have this, or doesn't have this, and we're just so thankful that we this morning can teach it, and when the Holy Spirit can, can illuminate in our hearts what it means. We just pray that your will would be done this morning, God, that you would show us and teach us everything that you want us to see from your word, that you would soften our hearts to receive it, and that we would obey it, Lord. God, we we love you, and we know that in your word we find yourself. And we ask that your word would have its full effect, that it would teach and correct and train in righteousness, and that it would be living and active this morning in our hearts. So we just pray that your will would be done. Have your way with us. We're thankful in advance for the work that you're going to do in us and how you're going to speak. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us or you've read up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll, you'll know that the ministry of Jesus has spread. I mean, I mean like wildfire across Israel, Palestine, into Syria, and modern-day Lebanon. Uh, at the end of Matthew chapter 4, just a few chapters previous... Uh, It tells us that multitudes were coming from all over that region to encounter this man, Jesus. Uh, We read that Matthew 4, 23 through 25. It says this. Jesus is traveling throughout the region of Galilee, northern Israel there, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick and whatever their, uh, excuse me, and whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were even demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds gathered him wherever he went, people from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. Jesus would go on, you know, to teach the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, teaching these multitudes the the attributes of the kingdom, what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. But at this point, I mean, Jesus' earthly ministry was incredible. I mean, it's something that they had never seen before. You know, for thousands of years, Jews were anticipating the Messiah, the one that would come and save them and rescue them. And there there are only certain miracles that the Messiah could do. And Jesus was doing those things. He was healing blind men and he was raising people from the dead. And those that couldn't walk any longer, he would say, you know, take up your mat, walk. He was forgiving people's sins. I mean, it was absolutely crazy in their minds. 
but incredible that people from all over that region were coming to meet Jesus. I mean, remember, this is God incarnate. God in the flesh had come and his kingdom was being displayed here on earth. Something that none of them had ever seen or heard. This place where this is taking place is the city of Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. If you've never been to Israel or don't know what the Sea of Galilee quite is, it's, it's a large lake. You know, it's about seven by seven. You can see the other side on a clear day. Um, but crowds were coming to this little town and on this little lake in northern Israel, and there was multitudes there. Multitudes, thousands and thousands of people were gathering around. And at times, the crowds got so bad that Jesus literally had to get in a boat, go off the shore a bit, and actually teach and preach and speak to them from the boat because he just literally couldn't because there was so many people crowding around him, wanting to be healed, wanting to meet him, wanting to see him face to face. I mean, news was spreading throughout this region. As you can tell, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. No one had ever seen or come in a way like his, and and, and no one has since. And in this crowd on the Sea of Galilee, in the city of Capernaum, is where we pick up our story this morning. And specifically, um, we, we see two groups of people there in addition to all these strangers and visitors. We see the scribes and the disciples. See, the scribes and disciples, and just so that we're sure of who those are, scribes were authorities in Jewish law. They were closely associated with the Pharisees. They were highly educated and were the scholarly class of Jewish society. They were fiercely loyal to the system of religious traditions. If you've read the Gospels, uh, anytime Jesus is really healing or doing any work at all, especially on the Sabbath, the scribes and the Pharisees come into view. If you've read them, you know what I'm talking about. But these, the scribes were the authorities of the Jewish law. I mean, Jesus made them sad a lot. They were angered by this a lot in, 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 in simple words. They were there, and the scribes asked the first question. We're going to get to that in a second. But then also the disciples were there. And the disciples are the disciples. They're the ones that Jesus called to himself. And we see that the calling of the first disciples, and also in Matthew chapter 4, just a few chapters previous in the city of Capernaum, the same place they are right now in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, you guys know this, but Matthew four eighteen through 22. It says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Jesus, they followed Jesus. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee was their father. Mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and they left their father and they followed him. That was the the first instance where we see the disciples called. And and most likely it was one of them that was going to ask this question. That that did ask this question in Matthew chapter 8. To remind us though what a disciple is. A disciple by nature is a learner. A student. And what a disciple always has as a learner or a student has a teacher. Every disciple has a teacher. And in Jewish culture then, you studied under, your teacher was your rabbi. 
That, that was your teacher. And young Jewish kids would train and study their whole adolescence to be able to study under, learn, be discipled by famous rabbis. I mean, there was, there was rabbis that were more prevalent and more famous than others. Um, as a young Jewish boy, you, you would strive. Your family, what would make your family proudest is if you got taken in by one of these rabbis. You get taken in by one of these rabbis. And what's, and what's significant is rabbis never picked you. You worked and tried to gain and earned their, you know, their favor. So what Jesus did in Matthew 4 never had been done that a teacher would ask a student to come with me. But this is the context here. These, these fishermen laid down their nets to became disciples of Jesus, Jesus being their rabbi. And as students or disciples in that culture, not only did you learn from your teacher, but you tried to emulate them. You, you literally tried to imitate their lives. And so if you were studying under a rabbi, if, a, a, a telltale sign if you were studying well is that people would see that rabbi in you. They would say, oh, I, I, by the way in which you talk and speak and do life and interpret the law, I can see that you study under this rabbi. What's important to note is that we too are disciples. We're Christians. And the definition of Christians is little Christ. We're to emulate Christ as disciples. You see how this is all tying together here? Are you with me? Okay, you're with me. So then the questions start happening. We know the players now, right? There's the multitudes, there's the scribes, there's the disciples. We know who they are. And they start asking questions. The scribe asks the first one. It says, teacher, speaking to Jesus, teacher, rabbi, I will follow you wherever you go. Then Jesus responds. He says, Well, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is what's important to note. Typically, scribes were teachers themselves. They had already studied under, you know, rabbi. They already knew the law. They were the ones enforcing the law. They were the teachers themselves. They weren't followers of teachers. And they were especially reluctant to follow a teacher such as Christ. Because Christ wasn't educated in a traditional rabbinic school. And he actually denounced the traditions that they held sacred, right? Throughout the Gospels, we see this. But this scribe, you know, makes a pretty significant statement here. Or a question. Like, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you will go. Well, scribes didn't say that. Scribes didn't, scribes didn't say that. But, but, but if, you, if you know the context here culturally, Jesus was the biggest deal in the region. People were seeing him as a rabbi, as a teacher. And if there's anything that this scribe wanted to do is he wanted that fame. He wanted to study under the best rabbi, the most famous one. And his question, Jesus knew like he does. He knows our hearts. He, know, he knew that this scribe was not asking with the right motivation or right priorities. Scribes didn't do that. You didn't ask a non-educated rabbinic teacher, and you would never say, I will go wherever you go, unless it was for fame, for recognition. And what Jesus means by his response is he starts out by, by speaking of himself in a very humble, meek way. 
You know, this is God in the flesh. But what he's saying here is he says, the realities of, of the reality of, or circumstances of actually following me is that sometimes you might not even have a place to lay your head. You know, because Jesus didn't sometimes. I mean, he was going mobile through Israel, preaching and teaching and, and doing all these miracles. And there was times where people would just enter him into his house and his disciples were with him. I mean, there was no glamour in this. And you guys know how the story ends with Jesus. I mean, he went to his death for what he was doing. But what he's doing in response to the scribe's question is he's pretty much killing the scribe's uh, aspiration for fame. <laughs> You think it's all this, this glamour and goodness to come follow me. Well, the reality is the fox have holes and the birds have air, uh, have air, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to even lay his head. In Jesus' answer, what he was doing to the scribe was he was testing this man's sincerity. See, for the disciple or for the follower of Jesus, we must give up earthly securities to know the greater inner security in the purpose of God. Jesus saw his motives and saw his priorities, and that's why he answered the way he did. But then the disciple asks what I think a lot of us at Simple Reading could, could see is a very understandable question. Right? He asked Jesus, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. Right? Jesus is saying, get in the boat. We're going to go across Galilee. We're leaving Capernaum. And the disciple says, hey, can I just go bury my father first? Really valid question. Really valid. But the answer that Jesus gives at simple reading is not only unexpected, but it's really harsh and inconsiderate. I mean, in my opinion. He says, follow me. So no. Answer is no. And allow the dead to bury their own dead. What does that even mean? For a lot of us, we've read this before and we don't know what this means. Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. Because what is he saying? Is he, he can't really be saying that we're not allowed to bury our parents. Be relieved, that's not what he's saying. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Here's what we need to know. Anytime you read a text or a historical account that's 2,000 years old from a different culture that's halfway around the world, it's important to know the culture. It's important to know the cultural context that you're in, right? Because that simple reading, we're like, Jesus is so mean. I'm out. Like, dude, that is, that, I can't even believe this right now, what he's saying. And we've read that probably and just shut our Bibles. Like, I'm, not, I'm over this thing. But here's what we need to know. From every historian and every commentator that we can get, we know that this disciple's father was not dead yet. Some say not even close to dead yet. But this is why he asked this question. This disciple was simply saying he wanted to return home and wait until his father died. And then he'd return and follow Jesus. This is why he would want to do that. See, the, the customary culture at that time was, like many cultures, uh, when your parents or your father specifically died, the estate and the assets were split up. And, and uh, in a lot of ways, back in Jewish culture, it was a painstakingly long process. I mean, just think of the logistics there. Someone dies. Well, you got to tell everybody. There's no email. There's no text. There's no phone. Like, let's go walk and find our relatives and tell them. Then there's like a week-long grieving and mourning process. And then there's the burial. And then there's all the religious uh, ceremonies. I mean, this is a painstakingly long process, even when a father died. One commentator said this. The request, let me first go and bury my father, meant that he wished to remain with his parents until fulfilling their occupational expectations. 
This might have taken several years. And Jesus' mission was now. Jesus' call has priority. Jesus called disciples and asked them to put him and his will above all else. That's the context. When the disciple asked this, you see, Jesus was ready to leave Capernaum where these disciples were, were fishers. This is where their livelihood was. This is where their family was. This is where their whole life was. Jesus was saying, come, we're going to leave this place and go now. This, this question was much more than it may seem on the surface. And here's why this is significant, why this disciple asking this question was so significant. Is that God had called these men out of their old life. And he called them into a new relationship with himself. I mean, think about that. They were standing, eating, and living with God. I mean, with God in the flesh. This is Jesus Christ. They're eating, living, sleeping. They're they're being trained by this man. He had picked them himself and called them to himself personally. He was pouring into them, discipling them, and instructing them. And for any of us in this room that understand who God is and the significance of that, wouldn't any of us die to have that opportunity to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus, right? We experience times where we feel like we're in the presence of God and we read the word of God and we know God on a personal level, those of us that are Christians in this place, and we so desperately want to be with him. Because if you really grasp the gospel, you're not scared of death. You know why? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? You're present with Jesus. You're with him. And we only see dimly through a glass, the Bible says. And so us now, we can only so much experience the presence of God, right? But they were with him in the flesh. And can you imagine this question? This man was picked out by God to follow him. And they're getting in the boat. And Jesus is pouring his life into them. And he says, Jesus... Can I just go deal with this stuff? And then I'm not sure how long it's going to take. It might take a few years. But then down the line, I'll just find you somewhere in Israel. and We'll pick up where we left off. That's the question. That's what he's saying in light of the cultural context. What this disciple was asking and saying by posing this question was, this is, this is what he was saying. I don't truly value you, Jesus, in this discipleship relationship above everything. There's still earthly treasure. And there's still stuff that is more important than what's being done here. The disciples' requests on the Sea of Galilee that day demonstrated that he felt discipleship was just something that he could just pick up or take back up at any time. And church, I hope we know that that's not true. You can't can't do that. That's not what discipleship is. That's not what our relationship, and when we're following Jesus, that's not what it is. But what we see from this text is a true call to follow Jesus. And here's what we can get from the text. The first thing we can get this morning for us, to make it a little personal, is our obedience as disciples will be put to the test. Just reminding you, like I said before, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've given your life to him, if you've confessed with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved, you're a disciple. You're not maybe a disciple in the same way, like one of the 12, but you are a disciple. You're a follower. You're a Christian. And so for those of us that are believers in this room, we're disciples, okay? This is all us. Our obedience as disciples will be put to the test. This is what I mean by that. 
our sincerity or our genuineness in our walks with the Lord will constantly be tested and tried. Our allegiance or our obedience will be put to the test. The devil, this fallen world, our flesh, do not want us to follow Jesus. And there's, 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 there's things that can happen that can test our obedience, whether it be trials or persecutions or spiritual attacks or any of the hard, difficult things that happen in this life will test our obedience to Jesus. As Christians, as born-again Christians, there was one time or one period of time that you made a choice a decision and a conscious act to surrender and to obey God. It's your salvation experience. You know, everyone has a testimony that knows God and they can remember either it was that one night or that one prayer meeting or that one Sunday or, or it was a period of time where you gave your life to the Lord and it was a conscious decision. And you can recall that if, if, you, if you're a Christian. But when it comes to discipleship and obedience— It really comes down to daily choosing to obey. You know, salvation might have been a one-time decision, and you're walking in that now, but now we're disciples, and your obedience to God really does get tested daily. I know it does for me. There's a battle going on for our obedience to God. You know, one example is, uh, you know, in Galatians 5, Paul here is writing a, a letter to the church at Galatia, and he says this. He's talking about the flesh and the spirit. He says, So I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I mean, just just even that alone. I mean, there is a battle for us to follow Jesus that's going on inside of us. In our heads, in our hearts. Constantly. They're constantly in opposition to one another. Should I say yes to God or should I say yes to other things? Should I say no to this or should I say yes to this? Constantly in our heads and in our hearts. And then Scripture, Old and New Testament, would give us countless examples of those that were tested to obey God or obey man. I mean, thinking of the Old Testament, one comes to mind is uh, Daniel chapter 3 with King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? He built this huge statue, and his decree in the land was that every person was to bow down and worship the statue as their God. And then three guys come, and they're not going to do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story. We know why they ended up in the fiery furnace. It's because they did not obey man. They obeyed God. But you know what happened, right? They didn't get burned. You know, you know the story. They trusted and they obeyed God and not man. Well, we see the opposite with uh, Peter, right? In, in all four Gospels, when Jesus was arrested and put on trial and about to, to be put to death, three times he was asked, Do you know this man? Are you with him? Are you one of his disciples? Are you one of those fishermen that were with him these past years? And his answer is no, no, and no. And unfortunately, he didn't obey God. He didn't trust God. He didn't say that. But grace be to God. Have you ever read the book of Acts about Peter? Have you guys ever read the book of Acts? Okay, please open the Bible and read the book of Acts if you've not read the book of Acts. 
What happens is the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter, the same Peter that denied Christ three times, and then he is so anointed, he preaches this sermon, and 3,000 people in one sitting get saved. Amen? Grace of God, if you ever mess up, just read Peter's life, okay? Relate more to Peter than you do Paul, for sure. I do. But in that case, Peter, Peter didn't trust God. He didn't obey God. He, he was swayed by men. And then we see, you know, it can be as deadly as also the book of Acts. Got to read the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7 with Stephen, the first martyr. Deny Christ. Stop professing the gospel. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he died. He died trusting, believing, and obeying God. And, you know, for us, the examples might not be as dramatic or as deadly here living in, you know, this area of the United States and in our current life. I mean, for those of us that you'll go to the missions field and whatnot, they they might be the same. But for us, it could be as simple as sharing our faith or not. Right, you're in a workplace environment or in an environment where faith comes up or Jesus comes up or a hot topic comes up and you don't say something and you feel like the Holy Spirit wanted you to. That's disobedience. Right, it could be as simple as that. It could be whether we sin or not. You know, by definition, sin is disobedience to God. So anytime we sin, we're disobeying God. Sometimes it's really helpful to think of it that way because we might sin less. Does that make sense? We so downplay what sin is that we don't realize the root of it is disobedience to God. But that's one example of, of not following God. It's just it's sinning. Another one could be, you know, things like our priorities or how we spend our time and our money. You know, God's given us stewardship over what we have. And there's certain things that, you know, God lays on your heart to do and you don't do those things. Well, that's disobedience. That's, that's another way in which your obedience to God has been tested. And uh, we choose daily whether we obey God in those areas or not. Does that make sense? You're with me? Okay, okay. Just want to make sure. Make sure you're with me. And reading the book of Acts, too. Got to do that. The second thing we see from our text this morning is that the value we put on our discipleship with Jesus will be questioned. Let me read that again. The value we put on our relationship with Jesus will be questioned. This is what I mean by that. Our priorities and what is most important to us will come into play. And for many of us, that'll be tested on a regular basis. Because the question that will come into play, it does a lot, is do we value Christ over blank? Do we value Christ over security, over comfort, over money? Or do we choose rather comfort and security and position, and fame over Christ. This idea of value and how much we value our relationship with Jesus will too often be questioned. And as believers, as disciples, as followers of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, what is our view of Christ? We say the words, we prayed the prayers, we come to church, but when the rubber hits the road, what is our view of Christ? Is our relationship with him or is he himself and our obedience to him more important than all the rest of everything in the disciples case what was more important to him was the estate and the money and comfort and security and family and it wasn't obeying god and it wasn't that he didn't value christ and he doesn't value that relationship but he was just Wanting to do both. He was wanting 
all those things before following Christ. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I think for many or most of us, we, we can do this with God. You know, God, we read something in God's word and it convicts us in some way and it, it's asking us to either give up something or stop something or, or whatever it is. Or maybe more specifically, God is telling you to go or stay or move or quit your job or anything. God does all that stuff. But if you're anything like me, we'll say, okay, God, I see how that's really good. Awesome. But before that happens, can I do all this stuff? Before that happens, God, what if I do this and that? And then when I get, once I get everything in order, then I'll go do that. Sound familiar? Sound like yourself? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Thank you for the response. I think it's more than people say. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. It's probably true of humanity. That we will make time and make sacrifices for what is important to us. We will. We'll gladly give up things that are of lesser value in order to gain or receive something of greater value. That's pretty true. I mean, for the most part, you know, intellectually, we all want to do that. I don't know if we all end up doing that in the long run, but we, we, we see that. Oh, yeah, of course. That's why we don't spend and save for a house. That's why we give up certain things so that we can get something better. I mean, we, we do this all the time. And our text in Matthew this morning is questioning what value we put on Christ. And we see that in the disciples' question. And the third truth that we need to understand is that there's a cost to following Jesus. There just is. There's a cost to following Jesus. Following Jesus costs us. It requires us to lay down, let go, and give up things in this world. And sometimes, if not most times, that's uncomfortable. It doesn't make sense. It hurts. It's painful. Um, We don't want to give those things up. But when you give your life to the Lord, And when you enter into that discipleship relationship and you're following and obeying Christ, it costs you. This is what I mean by that. Jesus talks all about it. The whole New Testament talks about it. Matthew 16, 24. This is the New Living Translation. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, the same ones here, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Paul, in a letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that that, that we have all died to our old self. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for him. Paul, in another letter to the, to the church in Galatia, Galatians 2.20, you know this. But my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So, that in, so the life I live in this earthly body, I'm, by, I'm trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then just two chapters from now, Jesus says, the same thing. He says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. That last one is really heavy. It's really gnarly. And it might seem even counterintuitive. 
But for those of you that have walked with Jesus for any significant amount of time, God's asked you to give up something and it's cost you or your relationship with the Lord in whatever way has cost you to give up things and sacrifice. I'm sure you would say the same answer, that it was worth it. That it was worth it. That that stuff that you gave up, the things you sacrificed, the things that you said no to to say yes to Jesus was nothing compared to knowing him. Can I get an amen? And what we need to remember, that when, when, when we're obeying and following Jesus, we need to remember who it is that we're obeying and following. Because do you not remember the sacrifice that Jesus himself paid on the cross for us? You know, three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying to his father, and he says, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, let it be, but not my will, but your will be done. And what he did was he went to the cross in obedience to the Father's will. If there's ever a person that is an example of obedience, it's Jesus to the Father. And what he did was he died on the cross and he paid our price, right, so that we didn't have to. He died in our place to forgive our sins so that we could be reconciled with our Father who is in heaven. That we might be forgiven of our sins and have an abundant life here, an eternal life with God. That's the gospel, right? But Jesus paid with his own life and he sacrificed his own life for us. And so church, in light of Christ's sacrifice, is what we have to give up ever really a sacrifice? I mean, can we even really say the same word? Right, if we're really thinking of what God did for us and that being the ultimate sacrifice, when he asks us, to give up whatever. I mean, is that really anything compared to knowing him? Is it really anything? See, Paul, the Apostle Paul, saw the value of knowing Christ and not counting anything as important, as, as the same importance. Paul, in the letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians 3, 5 through 8, this is Paul describing himself. This is what he says. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Stop there. Don't read ahead. Stop there. Don't do it. I know it's hard. This is what Paul is saying. If you know Jewish culture, Paul was saying, I am the ultimate Jew. I was born from the right tribe. I was circumcised on the right day. I studied under the best rabbi that anyone could ever study under. He did. He was the, the Jew that everyone looked up to. I mean, this, he, he had everything. I mean, I mean, it's incredible who Paul was and how he studied in Jewish culture. But then verse 7. Look what Paul says. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless. Because of what Christ has done. Yes everything else is worthless. When compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else. Counting it all as garbage. Love that. So that I could gain Christ. What Paul, 
Paul wasn't saying that those things weren't valuable. They were of extreme value. But in light of Christ, they were garbage. Paul had a right view of who Christ was in his life. And he was willing to give everything up. Cost whatever it costs in order to get Christ. For those of us in this room that, that are in this boat, right? Like we're disciples. We're followers of Christ. You could say in some ways Jesus is saying get in the boat. Right? Put yourself in the disciples' feet this morning. Jesus, through his word and by his spirit, in one way or another, is telling all of us, get in the boat, follow me. Follow me. And the question that we have this morning is, will we follow? Will we obey? And are we doing that in our lives? We need to ask ourselves that. That's this time for, you know, personal heart reflection. The word of God reading us and speaking to us. Are there areas in our life? Are there certain things in our life, our priorities, our motivations, our choices that we're not obeying God with? Are we valuing other things above the Lord? And, and it, you know, if we're looking for, you know, comfort in other stuff, be reminded that God is the God of all comfort. If you're looking for security, well, remember that he's the strong tower that the righteous can run into. If you're looking for a full life, be reminded that he's the one that came to give abundant life and eternal life. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. Everything else pales in comparison. It's worth everything to get God. Next week, I'm teaching next week too. Hope that's okay with you. Um, We're going to be looking at some examples of those that have gone before us that have obeyed Christ. They have counted the cost. They have suffered. But the fruit that is born from that is unbelievable. We're going to actually be looking at about the last 500 years of church history, the saints of old, men and women that have obeyed the call and gone forth and obeyed God. I'm really excited for that one, so it's hard for me to not just go right now um, into that. But today... This is, where we want to, this is where we want to be. We want to allow God's word and his spirit to convict us and lead us back to our God this morning. We want to get our hearts to the place where we're choosing Christ over the passing pleasures of this world. My prayer is that God's loving kindness leads us to repentance this morning. The reason why God convicts us when we're when we're, when we're astray is because he loves us and he wants to bring us back to himself. To leave you with one thought and one example, I want to leave you with what the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, speaks about Moses. Book of, you know, chapter 11 of Hebrews is the hall of faith. It's highlighting those men and women that have trusted and believed and obeyed God. Hebrews 11, 20, uh, 24 through 26 speaks of Moses, and it says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Allow that to be said of ourselves, that we chose Christ over the passing pleasures of the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for your word this morning. And we're thankful 
for the truth and the reality that you are far more valuable than anything that this world in any age has ever existed. That you are the true treasure that we seek and you are far better than anything else. And Father God, we ask that our hearts would receive what you've done this morning. That we would truly once again turn to you and say in a real honest way, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll obey, I'll go, I'll stay, I'll give up. Because God, would you give us a great view of the cross this morning and of the sacrifice that you paid on it? And in light of that, allow our hearts just to, to let go of everything else that would get in the way of us and you. Father God, we, we want to be men and women that are after your own heart. We want to follow you. We want to obey you. We know that you are our good shepherd and you know what's best for us. You are intimately acquainted with all our ways. And so we just ask that you'd have your way this morning. That you would speak to us. That we would come back to you. That you would forgive us in the ways that we've disobeyed you. But that you would, that you would uh, continue now to, to draw us near to yourself, Lord. And that we would now walk with you in obedience. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.